Or would you stand with me as we come now to the Bible? If you don't have a Bible, there are, there are Bibles in the pew racks right in front of you. And uh, those church Bibles, the passage we're looking at is on page 839. We're looking at Mark chapter 4, verses 35 uh, to, uh, to the end of that section there, which is verse 41. And uh, if you're someone here this morning and you're not sure whether you really believe the Bible is God's Word, or if, even if it's historically reliable, I ask you just to kind of park those questions in your mind for a little bit. We've actually got a session coming up in a couple of weeks on that very question. I've written on some of those things. You can find some papers about that online, but we're going to be speaking specifically about that in a couple of weeks. But this morning, I want you to hear this story and um, let it do its work as we look at it together. Now, the context is that evening has come, and Jesus has spent the whole day uh, teaching. He's been specifically teaching about how his word has power, and uh, now they're about to um, row across to the other side of the lake. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? This is God's word. Amen. As I said uh, this morning, the subject is, um, does God exist? Is there a God? And uh, what I want to do today is show how this story answers that question. But before I do that, I think I need to establish some credibility, if you like. I mean, after all, this is a church gathering, so presumably the answer I'm going to give to the question, is there a God, is going to be yes, right? Feels more like a um, dog bites man kind of story than a man bites dog kind of story. Not surprising, right? It's not unexpected, I'm going to argue, that God exists. Actually, what would be news is if I argue that God did not exist. That would be news. Senior pastor of College Church says God does not exist in news shocker. Might make the Chicago Tribune, who knows? That'd be good for our marketing techniques. Well, not, but it'd be interesting. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Well, there probably would be in that case. 
At Start of Chicago Wide Explore God Initiative, senior pastor confesses he doesn't really think God exists after all. That would be news. But no, you, you all kind of know that I'm going to say that God exists. So why listen? What sort of credibility? Well, listen, I've actually spent most of my life um, trying to answer this question or find ways to answer it for others. I grew up in a Christian home, but I was not educated in a Christian environment. Uh, Most of my friends growing up did not believe in God. It was more rare to meet someone who did believe in God. Even when I finally ended up studying theology, I mean, you think if you're studying theology, you'd be among people who believed in God. But no, my director of studies actually did not believe in God. It didn't seem to affect his professional qualifications. That's another question. So I really do have empathy for people who don't believe in God. I've heard the arguments. I get it. I understand how persuasive it can be. So I want you to understand that I get it personally. But I, 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 and indeed, in many ways, I, I'm more comfortable in secular environments than religious ones. Uh, that's my background. That's, I grew up in that kind of environment. But I also want you to understand that I get it intellectually. You know, it'd be really easy um, to do a sort of straw man kind of argument in, in this regard this morning. Um, So, you know, here's what atheists believe. That's nonsense. So now we must believe in God. Uh, For instance, you know, all atheists believe that there are no morals or ethics and um, in any kind of universal sense that everyone has to follow. And who wants to believe in that? Um, You've got to have ethics, right? Otherwise, the whole society is going to be in chaos. I mean, just look around you. See what happens when you get more secular? So come on, we've got to believe in God, right? You'll hear a lot of arguments like that. Straw man arguments. Of course, people do it um, against Christianity all the time too. Uh, For instance, all Christians are against science. Science is what makes planes fly and gives us antibiotics. So how can you be a Christian? No, all Christians are not against science. In my experience on university campuses, there are actually more scientists who are Christians than there are in the humanities, in in the arts, English, history, Uh, because at least the sciences train you to make decisions, whereas in the humanities, you're trained to not make decisions, you know. Seriously, you've got to delay conviction. Um, You've got to weigh all the odds for decades sometimes. And so it's harder to come to any conviction about anything, let alone about God. And so, so not only do I want you to know that I personally get it, I grew up among atheists, I want you to know that I intellectually get it. So in, the argument for atheism in its strongest form can be made a bit like this. There are various arguments, but here's what I think is probably the strongest form. Here it is. The way we know things is through science. That's how we know what we know. Science. But science cannot prove that God exists. 
I cannot prove that God does not exist either, but as one prominent atheist puts it, just because you cannot prove that fairies do not exist at the bottom of your garden doesn't mean that you should believe in fairies. Granted, you can't know for sure that God does not exist, but there's no rational reason to accept that he does. Now, in addition to this, uh, many people would uh, point just to what's happened uh, in Western society as people have got more educated. As people have got more educated, they've got more secular. And, you know, see, that shows it. Science makes it really unlikely that God exists. Now, you know, so then Christians give their pushback to that. The pushback to it is usually something like this. Well, there are many scientists who believe in God. And you know, even Galileo and Newton and probably Einstein also believed in God. So there you have it. But, but to be fair to the atheist position, that, that doesn't prove anything. Because, well, first, you don't know what those scientists really thought. I mean, famously, um, Galileo, when he was made to recant his view that the earth uh, moves around the sun and he's a frail 69 year old uh, man and he's knelt and recanted before the ecclesiastical authorities and he's had to say no you know the, the, the earth uh, does not move around the sun the earth does not move and it is said that as he got up from kneeling he whispered to himself yet it does move so how do you know what they really believed anyway they're just saying they believe in God to keep their audience connected, the people they're trying to work with so they don't get in trouble with the authorities. And yes, we all know that Christians are not flat earthers. Um, there, are many, uh, there are many modern scientists who are Christians. Uh, for instance, the head of the Genome Project, one of the most prominent scientists in the world, um, is a Christian. Um, But still, these are just personal examples. They're not arguments, right? So all that, just to set it up, that I personally get it, and I also intellectually get it. There are strong arguments to be made for atheism. I've just given one, but there are others. I think it's the strongest, certainly the most common one. So all that to say, when I argue now that God does exist, I want you to know it has come as a result of a lot of conversations and a lot of thought with a lot of people over many, many years. Not in some bubble of some Christian environment, you know, but out there in the, in the world where meeting an evangelical Christian was about as rare as meeting some kind of strange magical beast in a forest. So how would I argue that God exists? Well, I'm just going to pick one argument and one passage because obviously we've only got 20 minutes or so. But I do think this is a particularly helpful one. And we've read out the story. And really it can be um, broken up into three, um, three segments. So you've got the storm, right? And then you've got Jesus, and then you've got the response. That's how the passage is structured. So first the storm, really verses 35 to 38. Look, you can look down there, but I'm not, I'm not going to read it out again. Here's what's going on. They're sailing across the lake in one of those ancient fishing boats. We actually know what they were like because we discovered a boat from that time. They were pretty shallow, didn't have much of a keel, not that large, obviously made of wood. They would have had a sail, some oars, that, that, that kind of thing. 
These are experienced fishermen. They would have sailed across this lake many times before. And uh, we also know that storms could suddenly emerge on that lake because they still do. And this one suddenly, there it is. And of course, in the story, Jesus is asleep. Now, I actually think that's where some of you are, as it were, in that kind of situation. In other words, maybe the issues for you are not intellectual. Maybe they're emotional. You're in some kind of storm. Maybe that's why you're here. You have family issues. Your marriage is in trouble. Or maybe you just feel really sad. Maybe you have for quite a long time. Or maybe you can't get the job you want. Or maybe you're rich and very successful, but actually inside you know it doesn't mean anything because you know you're going to die, so what's the point? Some kind of storm. Or maybe it isn't an emotional or personal storm, but maybe it's more... You're just wondering what on earth's going on in our country. You look around the country these days. I mean, we've had a, the longest ever government shutdown ended, sort of ended recently. We have all these crazy shouting matches between different sides about various things. Everyone is angry with each other. It's the age of outrage. We all are in some kind of storm in this country right now, it feels like. Maybe that's why you're here. You're trying to figure it all out. Maybe it's got something to do with God. Maybe God can help. So this is storm of some kind or other. And indeed, it's dangerous. But where is God in all this? He seems to be asleep. See, that, that, that's what it feels like, isn't it? For some of you. It's also what it's like intellectually, I think, for some people. So, for instance, okay, so if there is a God, why doesn't he show himself? I mean, you know, he could just kind of turn up, couldn't he? Of course, the point I'm going to be making is that he did. But, but, but why doesn't he just persuade me if he's there? Uh, this is actually the, um, uh, the view of the famous atheist Bertram Russell. He said that if after he died, he found out he'd been wrong all along, what, you know, he was asked, what would you say to God? And what he would say to God would be, not enough evidence. Not enough evidence, God. Maybe that's what you think. Uh, if there is a God, he's asleep. Maybe you do believe in God. And it's just you're not sure he... Um, believes in you that thing happened and it felt like he was asleep he didn't do anything about it why should you believe in God anymore you're in a storm but then there's also Jesus and so then as the story carries on of course Jesus is woken up by the disciples and he speaks to the wind and the waves and they're immediately calm and this, of course, is a show of great power, the great power of his word, the great power of who he is. Actually, he, um, he, as he rebukes them, the, the phrase he uses is actually, be muzzled. Be muzzled. It's, it's a rebuke. It's, it's a, we don't really have a 
quite an equivalent phrase, but it, it, the tone of it is like sort of, quiet, enough, stop, be muzzled, zip it, you know. Now, why does this show that he's God? Well, as I said, the way I know that God exists is that he showed up. He showed up. The power of this person who can speak like this and stop a hurricane in its tracks. It's pretty amazing. See, in the Bible, we're told at the beginning that God spoke the world into existence. He spoke it into existence. And now we have Jesus speaking. He's, he's reordering the chaotic creation. It's like, it's like the creation is a wild animal out of control and he muzzles it. Stop. And you say, well, how does that help me believe that, that Jesus is God and therefore, of course, that God exists? He showed up. How does that help me? I, mean, I wasn't there. If I saw it, that might be impressive, but I wasn't there. Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean and then what it does mean. What it doesn't mean is that you have to reject science. So when I talk about the creator speaking to his creation, I'm not urging you to reject science. Um, Galileo said that the Bible tells us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. You don't have to reject science. doesn't mean that. What it means is that not only is there enough evidence to believe in God, the very fact, and this is why I think this is the most powerful argument, not only is it evidence, which we, you know, I could spend the next like, hour just listing all the evidence for God, but not only is there enough evidence to believe in God, the very fact that we are the kind of people who need evidence shows that there is a God. Jesus calmed the storm with a word, with the word of command. For the world was created with the word, and he calmed it with the word. Uh, I've quoted Galileo a few times recently, but Galileo uh, also said that in order to understand the universe, you have to understand its language. He meant mathematics. There is a language to the universe. There is an order. There is a word to the universe that Jesus spoke. There is a reason. There is a logos. There's a word to it. Why? This is, don't get me wrong, if you're someone there who, who doesn't believe in God and you're thinking, now he comes along with the argument from design. No, this is not, this is not really the argument from design. This is the argument from the fact that you need an argument. Right? Why? Why? I mean, wood doesn't need an argument. It's matter. Why do you? It perhaps seems a little hard to get your mind around, but look at it like this. Here's an illustration that might help. You have a phone, okay, and you type a message. Someone texts it, be a message a little bit 
just a moment while I was preaching, but there it is. So I've got the message, okay? You're typing a message on your phone. Well, why do you type a message on your phone? Well, because you own the phone. It's your phone, yeah? But why do you type a message? Because messages are how how you communicate, okay? But why messages? Because there's software on your phone and on the other phone that allows you to type messages. Well, why... Why is it built like that? Well, because underneath there's some kind of hardware that no one in the world seems to understand anymore, but somewhere underneath there's hardware, yeah? And why do computers work like that? Well, computers, in the end, are built along a whole series of ones and zeros, digital switches, right? It's right down there at its ultimate source. That's what, that's what, that's what it is. That's what, that's what phones are. That's what computers are. It's a series of digital language. But why is the world like that? Why? We live in a world that has a, a language. Not like you know English and French and German, but a, a language of order, of reason, of mathematics, of I need an argument to be persuaded. Why? Why? It's an argument from the fact that you need an argument. This is why I think elsewhere in the Bible it says the fool says in his heart there is no God. Why? Because to say in your heart there is no God is to use argument to show that God does not exist when the very argument you're using is a sign that there is a God because you're arguing. Because otherwise why would you? It's a serious problem for atheists. Now there are, there are, there are pushbacks to it. Uh, one is to say... All you're doing is advancing a God of the gaps approach. Okay, so this is a common thing an atheist would say. And whether you are someone who's an atheist here this morning or whether you you want to figure out how to talk to someone who doesn't believe in God, they'll commonly say it's just a God of the gaps. So for instance, we didn't used to know that there was gravity or how gravity worked. Now we do know that there is gravity and how gravity works. And therefore, we don't need God for that proposition anymore and all you're doing is you've just got another gap and you're inserting God into that gap well one day science will figure it out it has figured everything else out and here's another little gap okay it's a gap I don't understand why we live in this information technology universe as it were I don't understand that but one day we will okay but that's actually to miss the point this is not a God of the gaps argument This is an argument from the fact that you need an argument. This is an argument from the fact that you can push back to me with that's a God of the gaps argument. Why? How can you do that? And so then, you know, if you push it that far with someone, as I have, you know, quite a lot of times with people who don't believe in God, then they come back with their final argument, which is this. Okay, well, I get what you're saying now. But really, what you've got to understand is how the brain has evolved. This is not an anti-evolution moment. I'm just telling you, this is what someone who doesn't believe in God would say. You've got to understand how the brain has evolved. We have evolved to see patterns. So, for instance, they would say, um, imagine that in some distant past, there you were in a jungle somewhere, and you you were trying to survive. The kind of brain that would be most likely to survive would be the kind of brain that could see patterns and make predictions. Don't go into that area because there are lions there. You might get eaten. My friend did once. I see that's a pattern. I'm not going to return, right? That kind of brain 
evolves to survive. And therefore, we are the kind of animals that see patterns. And they would say, you can look up at the sky. In, In the day, you look up at the sky and there are clouds, those puffy clouds, and you can kind of make patterns out of it in your mind. You know, that looks kind of like a horse, or that looks like kind of like a clown. Of course, it's not a horse, it's not a clown, but you, can, you make patterns, similarly. You just make, you're just a pattern-forming machine, a pattern-forming animal. That's all it is. That's all that's going on. That's why you think there is this argument, this reason, this logos, this word that underlines everything, because your brain has evolved to see consistency even when there is none. And actually, there is none. Now, that's a powerful pushback. But here's the thing about it. What that person is doing is they have constructed a reason for there to be no reason. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's just the same thing again. What are you going to do with this God who can speak the world into existence and calm it at a word? Well, of course, there's a response here. And uh, really, there are two responses. The response is in verse 41. The first response is they're, freak, they're, they're just freaked out. They, literally, they feared a great fear, which, of course, is remarkable. You've just been about to drown. They, of course, were frightened now. But what Mark is saying is, is now they're really scared because they suddenly begin to think, well, who is this guy? You know, imagine you were skiing down some mountain somewhere and there was a huge avalanche about to hit you and one of your skiing party kind of turns around and just says, stop. And it just kind of freezes in the air. Freak you out? Now they're scared, Mark's saying. So that's one response. They're just, wow. And of course, that's, that's important for us who are Christians to see, particularly we live in this time of so much anxiety. You know, I've got to impress people. I've got to be clever. I've got to be beautiful. I've got to put the right Instagram picture on, which just makes me look so nice. You know, I just got to get my eyes bigger, and you know. And um, some of us gave up doing that a few years ago, but we've got all this anxiety inside. Because the way to get rid of that anxiety is to actually have to fear a great fear. To fear the one who loves you. To fear what he thinks, not what your Instagram followers think. But there is another response, and this particularly for those who are still trying to figure out the answer to does God exist. The other response is they come with a question. The question, of course, verse 41, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Who then is this? In other words, we started this, this morning with a question is there a God? But now we have a different question. God showed up in Jesus. Who then is this? That's the right question. When you go to the Explore God small groups, I hope you will, and you go out there and you sign up with um, Josh and Eric and you get involved in those, those Explore God small groups, that's the question. Who then is this? 
It's really important you have the right question, you know. Here's a little story to finish with. Um, at the end of World War II in uh, London, there were a couple of soldiers who were wandering around London. They were wearing civilian clothes. They were, they were off. They were no longer fighting. They were taking a break. They're wandering around London, seeing the sights, as it were, and, um, and they've got lost. They don't know where they are anymore, and so um, they go up to someone to ask him where they are. But the person they go up to is actually their general but they don't recognize him because the general's also in civilian clothes. And so they go up to this, their general, and they say um, you know, something like, you know, hey, man, you got any idea where we are? And the general, you know, general, you know, five-star general, but in civilian clothes, the general um, looks at the soldiers and says, do you have any idea who I am? And one, one of the soldiers then looks to the other one and says, now we're in trouble. We don't know where we are, and he doesn't know who he is. The right question, not actually is there a God, but who then is this Jesus? We're going to stand now to sing our last hymn as we uh, close this morning. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Let's stand together to sing. And as we stand, the musicians will come out. I'll just give a word of prayer, and then we'll sing together. It's a great hymn. Let's enjoy singing it together. And can it be? Let's pray. I'm going to pray now. Thank you. Wonderful. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you for um, your word. We thank you for the. We thank you, Lord, that you showed up to show us who you are. We hope, Lord. We pray, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to worship you as this great God. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you work now by your Spirit, that as we ask this question, who then is this? Even as we sing together, we'll be convicted by your Spirit in our minds and hearts that you are indeed God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.